time together. Isaiah 61, stand this morning for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 61, we're going to read the first verse together, and that will be our Scripture reading this morning. Ready? Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. This morning, we're going to be looking at more of a topical type sermon, and the title of the message is this, Let Freedom Ring. Let Freedom Ring. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this country and for the freedom that we have enjoyed for now more than 230 years. How good you have been to this whole country. Lord, we have our warts and our bumps. We have our, uh, our faults, our shortcomings. And Lord, uh, those are abundant and obvious. But God, this country has allowed preachers to stand and preach and Christians to congregate through its history. And this nation has allowed uh, uh, churches to fund mission work around the world. Lord, I pray that today as we look at both uh, American liberty, patriotic liberty, and then Christian liberty, and we parallel the two, we look at them carefully and closely, may we make a commitment today that we would protect it, that we would walk and guard around it, that we would love it. Thank you, Lord, for those who have served our country so valiantly. May they feel honored today by the service. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This Veterans Day weekend, we want to take the time to honor those who have signed up to defend our country and liberties. For all of you, um, uh, for all of you and for all of those who you represent, we want to show you at this time a tribute video. If you would turn your attention to the screen.
If you're here today in the service and you have, uh, had, if you're here today and you have been in the service, if you would please stand for us. All those who have served in our military, if you would please stand. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you so much for doing your part to keep us free. Thank you for your part in um, defending this, this country. We are very grateful and indebted to you. When we, want, when we think of freedom, we think in terms of, the, of our national freedom, don't we? We think about things that are Americana, right? Thanksgiving, apple pie, baseball games and hot dogs, sunny days at the beach, winter s- shoveling snow, autumn leaves. We think of the many things that make us America, hamburger shops and ice cream, homemade churned ice cream, and we think of um, we think about those things that we've got to enjoy from our childhood on up. But what about our Christian freedom? What about our Christian liberties? No, I'm not talking about the assault on our freedom to assemble and worship. Uh, that is going on. That is going on. Our Right to assembly, uh, our right to worship and assemble is under attack in this country. There's no question about it. There may be a day where they take our building away if we continue to take stands where the Bible takes stands, and they may strip away our tax exempt stands. We don't know what the future holds, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about is the liberty that you were given the day that you were saved. That liberty, that liberty, no man and no law can ever take away from you. That liberty is yours. You may ask, Pastor, what are you even talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. I, I hope you have your attention this morning. I want to parallel our patriotic American liberty to our Christian liberty that we have here in Christ. So this morning we're going to take four principles uh, about this topic of liberty on this Veterans Day weekend, and we're going to look very closely at them. I hope that when you walk out the door today, you understand much better what liberty is and what it's not. I hope you understand today how you got your liberty and what you must do to retain it and what you must do to pass it on to the generations that follow and what you must do to uh, uh, to cherish it, both your patriotic liberty and your liberty that you have in Christ as a Christian. Let's jump right in this morning. I'd encourage you to take notes. Notice number one, the acquisition of liberty. The acquisition of liberty. And we're going to jump right in here. I'm going to give you an A, B, and a C on this and help you understand the process by which liberty is, uh, uh, li- liberty is uh, obtained. Okay, letter A, notice first, slavery. Slavery. Um, now, I'm going to give you several different instances of slavery. Let me just say up front that I am not comparing them or rather saying that one is equal to the other. Obviously, in these various forms of slavery I'm going to give you, some of them were far worse and are far worse than others that I'll give. So, um, we're going to look at several of these as we go through the points. And please understand that I'm not... Uh, putting them on the same shelf or the same level. So I want to make sure I get that disclaimer out of here first. Uh, the first form of slavery I want to talk about is what we had here in America as 
English colonies underneath the British throne. You may remember back to, uh, uh, they came over here and they were given money to come over and uh, uh, establish the, uh, the various um, uh, colonies. You have Jamestown, you have uh, uh, Plymouth Rock with the pilgrims and the various others that came over here, William Penn and the others that came over and established the various colonies that we now call states. And uh, they would uh, grow from little cities into colonies. Those colonies would later be called states. And uh, they at first came over here and life was great until the old king decided he wanted to start raising the, the, the tariffs and the taxes. And in a sense, they were under a form of slavery because they were having things taken from them without proper representation. Uh, the second form of slavery I have down here is the one that most everyone thinks about. And those were the Africans that were caught over on the continent of Africa and then sold like uh, pieces of meat, sold like animals and brought over here on boats and then stood up at market and sold uh, uh, to, uh, to, to plant plantation owners who wanted to use them in order to uh, grow their plantations. And what a tragic, tragic black eye that America has because we participated in that and we were involved in that. And those folks knew slavery. Uh, Generation after generation, they were raised on plantations and they were treated, most of them, less, less than human. What a sad thing that was. While we look at uh, those two forms of slavery, there is a slavery that is going on today that most people don't ever think about. I know that there are young ears somewhere in this auditorium probably, so I will choose my words carefully, but today there are women and children who are slaves to lustful, greedy, dirty men. I read the other day, that there are currently more slaves in the world today than there ever were on this continent during our slavery era. More slaves today than there ever were combined. Women and children are sold, abused and beaten, taken advantage of. We look at that and it's sad, it's disgusting, it's horrible. And I feel like as decent human beings, we have a responsibility to try to do something about it. You say, well, what can I do? You can find a cause that helps take care of it. You can give toward it. You can pray for those folks. There are things you can do. We look at these forms of slavery, again, as uh, American citizens who have political ethics about us. And it is disgusting. It is sad. It is sad what has happened in this history of our country. It is sad what goes on today. But can I tell you that some 6,000 years ago, mankind had their freedom stolen from them as well. Satan came along, and what did he do? He enslaved us. He had Adam and Adam and Eve had their liberty in Christ. They, they had total freedom. They woke up every day and they walked around and uh, they enjoyed each other. They enjoyed the garden. They enjoyed the fellowship and the cool of the day with their Savior. And yes, there were rules, and we'll get to that in a minute, but they had liberty in their God. And then Satan came along and slithered up to Eve and he deceived Eve and Adam knowingly ate the fruit and they lost their liberty that day. They became slaves to sin. Their owner became Satan. Became Satan. Look down with me at Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1. We were there just a moment ago. Notice there toward the end of the verse it says to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives. 
uh, that idea of being a captive is that of being a slave. In the opening of the prison to them that are bound, they're bound, they're captives, they're bound, they're slaves. And liberty cannot be acquired until first you understand that you don't have it or that you're living under some form of slavery. Let her be noticed suffering, suffering, suffering. Back uh, uh, before the American Revolution, those who dwelled in British colonies here in the then labeled New World were heavily taxed and they were treated poorly. And I listed just a couple of them here. Uh, I was uh, putting this message together this week up in Vermont. I had no internet whatsoever. So I didn't have the liberty of going online. Otherwise, I'd have a longer list for you. So I had to go back to my ninth and 10th grade history days and try to remember the different acts that were passed. And uh, I was able to remember three, uh, the Stamp Act, the Tea Act, and the Quartering Act. How many could have come up with that on your own? How many of you say, Pastor, I'm impressed? Okay, um, The Stamp Act, the Tea Act, and the Quartering Act. And the one that uh, sticks out to me, I remember being a kid and uh, thinking, what? Uh, British soldiers could walk up to anybody they wanted to and say, I'm staying in your house. And I'm staying until I, as long as I want to stay, I'll eat whatever I want out of your house, and I'll leave when I want to leave, and you can't stop me. Because the law has been passed. Now imagine if it worked that way today. Some oppressive country comes in and takes us over and they can come and stay in your house and eat out of your refrigerator any time they want. Now again, we're not comparing slavery here. What little boys and girls and women go through in the world today is much worse than being inconvenienced by having some soldier live in your house. But nonetheless, you've got to understand that this did bring some suffering. This did bring some problems. And we know about the rebellion, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, the dumping the tea overboard as Samuel Adams led the crew onto the boat and they Boston Tea Party. They dumped the, the tea overboard. They refused to drink it. The rebellion toward the throne over the oppressive acts. I think back to uh, the slavery days where, again, the Africans were treated so poorly and treated less than human. Let me just say this here, right here, right now, and so everyone knows uh, uh, where I stand, just to be very clear on it, is that uh, God does not see the color of your skin. He sees the fact that you are a human being in a soul. If you are a racist person, then you need to get your heart right with God. I grew up half of my life in uh, the southeast, Mississippi and Alabama. I have seen a lot of racism at church. And i got to say that racism doesn't belong anywhere, but it especially does not belong at church. You're red or yellow, black or white, you're precious in His sight. Any other shade in between. How silly is it that we think that we're better than someone else because we have a little less or a little more melatonin in our skin? That's silly. It's ridiculous. Uh, you may not like the culture of a particular part of our country, and that's fine. There are things about my own culture I don't like. There are things about uh, uh, cultures of the Spanish world. I'm married to a Spanish girl, and my wife doesn't really hold a, a lot of those cultural things I don't uh, like. She's prompt and on time and all those things. But um, uh, there are... Yeah, I said it. Um, there are things about... I was a Spanish pastor for four years, and there are things I had to learn to embrace and love, and I didn't necessarily enjoy them. There are things about every single culture you can nitpick and say that you don't like, but my friend, culture has nothing to do with color. Nothing to do with color. All right, I'm done chasing that rabbit. Back on, uh, back on uh, point here. Those poor African folks were stolen from their homeland unfairly. Rounded up put on boats in inhumane conditions. Many of them would die on the boat because it was so inhumane and just have their bodies dumped overboard. They were brought here. They were treated like cattle. 
They were subjected to inspections and sellings and cruelty. They suffered. They suffered. By the way, before you go get on your high horse and start criticizing a, a, a color or skin or culture, you better stop and get off that high horse and realize that there are going to be some ramifications for treating a group of people so terribly. You better show kindness and love. That's what the world needs. Today, there are women and children who have been lured away from their homes and promised a brighter tomorrow. Instead, they are brought, they are, they are, they are bought by hungry, lustful men who abuse them every day. You know what they're doing? They're suffering. I look at what Adam and Eve, what happened to Adam and Eve once they became a slave to Satan. How that Cain would rise up and kill his brother. How that the world now has cancer and sickness and pain and death and sorrow and hospitals and tears and suffering. Why? Because mankind has become enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin. You look at all the suffering in the world, the question isn't, God, where is you? The question is, man, uh, Adam and Eve, why did you? Why did you? Why did you give in to Satan? Why did you fall? Why did you uh, uh, curse all of your uh, offspring to a world of suffering and pain and hurt? Letter C, the acquisition of liberty, we see sacrifice. Sacrifice. If you're going to acquire it, you first must be enslaved and in that phase of the, uh, that, that, that space of being enslaved, you're going to suffer. And through that suffering, someone rises up and says, enough is enough is enough. We're going to do something about it. John chapter 15, verse 13, we find Jesus on His way to the Mount of Olives where He would be arrested just a short time later. In John chapter 15, Jesus says to His disciples as He's leaving the upper room and walking to the Mount of Olives, He says, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Our founding fathers were willing to stand up to the oppressive British kingdom. They were willing to suffer and sacrifice. Many of them would die so that freedom and liberty could be bought. I can't remember the exact number, but I know that of all the men that signed the Declaration of Independence, just a couple of them did not die by being killed. Most of them were killed. Why? Because they said, we have suffered. We're going to sacrifice so we can buy liberty for those that live in this land. Sacrifice was made so that we could have what we have today. Greater love hath no man, greater love hath no man than this, and to lay down his life for his friend. There's a quote I want you to write down in your notes here. Here it is. Liberty is always unfinished business. Liberty is always unfinished business. Hey, you get up and you take for granted that you can get dressed and go to the store and, and you can uh, buy things and then go home and be relatively safe in the process. I think we all feel a little bit more unsafe now than we did a week ago, don't we, after what happened in Texas, what happened in New York City, and what has happened over and over and over again in our theaters and our malls and our schools. You know why? Because our liberty is beginning to become challenged. 
That liberty was bought and that liberty is unfinished business. All of you that stood up a few minutes ago and, and, and defended our country and, 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 and were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice if called upon, what were you doing? You were saying that I understand that my generation and this group of people must stand up so that I can, uh, the, 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 the world around me can continue to have the liberty that it has. And to you, I say on this Veterans Day weekend, thank you, thank you, thank you for understanding that liberty is always unfinished business. 1861, a civil war broke out. And through the sacrifice of many men, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Because of the sacrifice of many Africans, they were given their freedom and liberty. Lincoln would later be shot and killed. In part because he ended the legislation of slavery in our country. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friend. Hear what I'm about to say today, especially if you're here and you don't know about how to go to heaven. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, God looked down at mankind and saw them enslaved to sin and said, I've got to do something about it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus left heaven, He came down to earth, and He suffered. He laid down His life for you, for you, for you, for me. Why? Because liberty cannot be bought unless someone's willing to suffer. Someone's willing to suffer. You see, because of your sin, you are condemned to hell. Just like me. Just like me. You say, but you're a pastor. You visit hospitals and you comfort people during hard times and you counsel hurting marriages and you help people that are broken and you love on people every week of your life and you give and you give and you give. Surely, pastor, as good of a person you are morally, God would let you into heaven and God would say, God looks down at my righteousnesses and He says, it stinks, it's ugly, it's gross, it's nasty. Your good is not good enough because your good is nowhere near compared to my perfection. I would liken it to this. You ever had an old white t-shirt and you look at it and you think it's white until you drop it down on the bed and white, white sheets and you go, wow, that thing's really lost its color. To you it looks white until you put it up to something that really is white. You take a piano that's out of tune and you don't understand that it's out of tune until you put it next to a piano that really is in tune. And while the piano that was out of tune sounds good to the average ear, boy, it sure doesn't sound good compared to that piano that's in tune. And You hold up your, your good works, your righteousness up next to God and God says, that's not very clean, is it? That doesn't sound so good anymore, does it? We get to heaven one day, God's going to look at you and say, you got sin on your account, and because of that sin, I cannot let you into heaven. Just like a judge can't let someone who's guilty of committing a crime walk free. That crime has to be punished if that judge is going to be just. And God says, I can't let sinners off the hook. You say, well then, pastor, what do I do? Your good works don't matter. If you go to court and you have uh, committed a crime, the judge doesn't care about the good you've done in your life. He just cares about that crime. The same thing in heaven. God doesn't care about the good you've done with your life. He just knows that you've committed thousands of sins in your life. What do you do? Well, that's exactly why Jesus came. Because He saw the suffering that sin was bringing in lives. He saw the hurt and pain that people carry. He saw that they were slaves to Satan and sin. And He said, I've got to do something about it. So, Jesus Christ, God's Son, left heaven, came down to be born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and then as He hung on the cross, He shed His blood and He became your sin and He took your place. How do you go to heaven? You have to understand that you need to leave the oppression of sin and step into Christian liberty. What is Christian liberty? 
Christian liberty is given to you the moment you bow your head and say, I'm a sinner, I deserve hell, I repent of my sin, Jesus Christ, will you take me to heaven when I die? I believe in you. When you do that, boy, He gives you that Christian liberty. You become free in Christ. Free in Christ. You become a citizen of heaven, which is the most liberating, the most liberating thing to be a part of. I'd ask you this question today, have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Or are you still living a slave to Satan and sin? You can be given Christian liberty today. At the end of the service, I'll give you a chance to be able to do that. Number two, notice the attributes of liberty. The attributes of liberty. Now, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on points one and two, and then we're going to move quickly through points three and four. So uh, bear with me here. Look with me at James chapter two and verse number 12. We're done in Isaiah 61. Uh, you can turn over to James chapter two, and much of the rest of the message will be all over the Bible looking at different verses that deal with liberty. Again, we're going to use our knowledge and understanding of American liberty to help us better understand Christian liberty. And we're going to draw some things here to help us uh, uh, be able to understand exactly what Christian liberty is through our understanding of patriotic liberty. Look at James chapter 2, verse 12. It says, uh, there it says, So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Now notice that, the law of liberty. Uh, turn over one chapter with me, if you would. It might even be the same page. James chapter 1 and verse 25. James chapter 1 verse 25. It says there, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Law of liberty. Now we're going to look at uh, verse 25 uh, a little more carefully here in a minute. But notice letter A, liberty structure. Liberty's structure. Alright? And then if you're taking notes, again, write this quote down as well. It'll be up on the screen for you. Liberty is not lawless. Liberty is not lawless. Just because you have liberty, that does not give you the permission to do whatever you want. Alright? How many understand that in America we enjoy liberty? You all understand that today? You don't have to raise your hand. You kind of nod at me if you understand that. We enjoy liberty. But that does not mean that you get to drive 100 miles an hour down Highway 8. Now some of you do. And shame on you. Got people pointing fingers over here. <laughs> that does not mean that you get to walk into the grocery store and fill your cart up and walk out without paying. Right? But this is America! I've got my liberties! That's not how it works. Listen, if, if, if we were lawless, there wouldn't be any prisons. Would there? If we were lawless, there wouldn't be a judicial system. If we were lawless, there would be no legislative branch because we wouldn't, we wouldn't have laws. If we were lawless, there would be no president to execute the laws. There would be no laws. That's not how liberty works. You see, liberty has laws. Um, I'm debating whether or not I should go here. Alright, I'm going to do it. These, uh, these athletes taking a knee during the national anthem. Alright? Um, I think that what they're kneeling for, they might have a valid a valid thing to take a stand on. Are there ever police that brutalize and take advantage of minorities? Yes, it happens. I have many friends that are, are minorities, and it happens to them. Whether or not they're beaten and, and killed, sometimes they're just pulled over more than the average guy because the color of their skin isn't white. It happens. So, what they're taking an E for, is it a real issue? Quite possibly it is. But that's the wrong venue to do it in. That's the wrong venue to do it. Um, not standing for a national anthem is, um, 
has nothing to do with that issue. Furthermore, I'll say this. Many of those people are saying, well, I have a right to take a knee. I live in America and America is free. Well, here's how this works. Yes, you have the freedom of speech, but your boss still gets to tell you what you can and can't do. And if he doesn't like what you're doing, he still has the right to fire you. And so, yes, the uh, owners can stand up to these folks and say, you know what, if you want to take a knee during the national anthem, you go do it on someone else's dime. But you're not doing it on my dime. Totally within their right to do that. That's not how the, that's not how the, the Second Amendment works. Liberty is not lawless. Let me just say this. Everyone is a servant to someone or something. Everyone. You say, oh, not me. Not me. I, I, I'm, I'm the man of my house and, and I, I do what I want. Yeah, you might be the head of your house. Your wife is probably the neck that turns you. Right? And uh, even if you are large and in charge, and you're the boss of your company, and uh, you, you live your life however you want, trust me, there are those that tell you what to do. There are, there are ideologies that tell you what to do. Someone or something is your servant. Mike Guevara over here, he, uh, he owns his own uh, construction company, he has for a while. They also own a hot dog truck, excellent hot dogs. You know who, uh, you know who uh, uh, Mike answers to? His clients. Mike doesn't do good work. Boy, that gets around and Mike doesn't have a job. Right? You, you start making people sick with your hot dogs, people are going to quit coming real fast. Right? You, you, are, you are a servant to somebody, even though you are self-employed. That's how it goes. No one is totally off the hook. And uh, so, liberty is not lawless. Liberty has structures. Either sin recklessly calls the shots, or Jesus is the master of your heart and life. The guy who smokes a cigarette says, I can stop anytime I want. Oh, really? Why don't you go ahead and stop? It's not so easy, is it? The drug dealer says, I can, I can, stop, uh, I can stop the drugs anytime I want. Okay, go ahead and stop. What you find is that while it started out as fun and games, you became a slave to that sin. So either sin is your master or Jesus is your master. American liberty does not mean lawlessness. All of our brave men and women who defend our country are not providing you the right to go do and live however you want. A country with no structured laws is not liberty. Instead, that is political anarchy. Political anarchy. Now, hear me out on this because I'm going somewhere with it, alright? I'm driving home a point everybody here already understands. You understood it when you walked in. You'll understand it better uh, when you walk out because it will be fresh on your mind. But here's where I think a lot of Christians fall off. Christian liberty also has structure. You with me on this? We are to embrace these laws right here. We're to live by these laws. Because without them, we lose our liberty, and instead what we find is moral anarchy. Moral anarchy. Don't scoff at the Bible. When you read God's Word and God points out something in your heart that isn't just right, get in line with it. When the pastor preaches something and you go, you know what, the Lord's working on me, and I, he, he's, he's right because it's in the Bible, get in line with it. That's where Christian liberty is enjoyed. You know the people that enjoy American liberty the most are the ones that follow all the laws. The same is true with, with the Bible. You, you, find stu, you find that structure. That structure is wonderful. Letter B, notice liberty's stability. Again, we're looking at the attributes of liberty. We talked about how to acquire it. The slavery, the suffering, the sacrifice. 
the many people who bleed and die. Even today, there will be those who will bleed and possibly even die so that you have that liberty, uh, that, that liberty. You have your Christian liberty because Jesus bled and died and He bought that for you and you, if you have received it, you have that through Him. Liberty's sacrifice, liberty structure, rather, let's look at liberty stability. Look at James chapter 1 again with me, verse 25. It says there, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that being the Bible, and continueth therein, he not being a, uh, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, that man, notice this phrase, that, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Blessed in his deed. Now, follow here, follow this with me. I'm going to teach you something if you listen today, okay? Follow, follow along with me here with what I'm getting at. Uh, you have structure. Liberty has structure. There are laws. There are limits. There are confines. There are consequences if you step outside of those structures. But within that structure, what you find is stability. Stability. I'll use the analogy of my home. Uh, Angela and I have two children, Matthew and April. They're eight and six. And uh, we have rules in our home. We have rules in our home. Now, we're nice about our rules. We don't uh, berate our kids with the rules, but we have rules. And when they step out of them, there are consequences. Now, notice that because they know where the lines are, those were established when they were little, they now know how to live inside of those rules. And they can go day after day after day and know what stability is within those rules. Within those rules. My children are able to be joyous and happy, and they're able to live life and love life. Why? Because they know where the boundaries are, and they have chosen, for the most part, to live inside of those boundaries. Now, your kids are no different than my kids. My kids still try to step outside the bounds sometimes. And you know what we got to do? You know what Angela's got to do? we got to do? we got to bring them back in. we got to say, oh! You cross the line, here's the punishment. And then they know, okay, oh, I can't do that. I've got to be back inside the line. Mom and Dad, you'll do yourself well if you'll just enforce the rules that you have in place. What's the old adage? A rule not enforced is no rule at all. So enforce your rules. Enforce your rules. Your children don't respect you for, uh, 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 your children rather, uh, don't disrespect you for having rules. They disrespect you because you don't consistently enforce the rules. Liberty provides, liberty structure provides stability. And then, uh, inside of that stability, we find letter C, liberty strength. Liberty strength. Look down with me at James chapter 21, or James 1 verse 25 again. You go to James 21, you'll be looking all day. Amen. Uh, James 1, verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, but being not a forgetful here, notice this next phrase, but a doer of the work. So the law of liberty provides the structure. We see within that structure that he's blessed because there's stability in the structure. And because of that stability of the structure, now he can excel through strength, through strength. The structure of liberty provides the stability and predictability of liberty, which provides the strength through liberty. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate. What has made this country great is that we have had the same governing law for over 240 years. Now, the preamble and Bill of Rights has provided a liberty that is both structured and stable. Right? So, the structure has provided stability. The division of powers between our three federal branches have provided a liberty that is both structured 
and stable. The division of powers between the state and federal government has provided a liberty that is structured and stable. Now, uh, because of the individual freedoms that are outlined in our law and the protection that we have been given to insulate those freedoms, America has been able to grow and be strong. Grow and be strong. Uh, you may remember the industrial revolution of this country. Excuse me for being historical today. This is Veteran Sunday. Amen. Uh, in the industrial revolution where John D. Rockefeller and all these other men uh, grew America and grew it through the capitalistic system that was there. And we went from being weak uh, and, and, and small in the world to being great and mighty and a superpower in the world. How do we become so economically great? Because there was uh, liberty had stability in its laws which uh, through the structure of its laws which enabled those men to go out and be strong inside of those laws. They were able to go out and excel and be great. Excel and do wonderful things. You know, Christian, it works the same way for you and I. Christians find these same attributes for our liberty, but on a much more solid footing. Now, um, hear me out on this. What makes Christianity so great is that we have had the same governing document, the Bible, since eternity passed. Hey, one day, our Constitution is going to fall apart. Not because it isn't a good document, but because the corruption in the heart of men. One day, our Bill of Rights will begin to become overturned. I hate to break it to you folks, but the day is coming they take your guns away legally. You understand that, right? The day is coming where our freedom to assembly, uh, to freely assemble and worship, that is going to be repealed and there will be some amendment behind that to take it away. That's coming. That's coming. They're going to slowly start stripping away our liberties. Why? Because of the corruption in the heart of man. But you have a governing book and you have a governor of that book who never change. Its structure is perfect. Its stability is perfect. It will always be there. The Bible tells us that God's Word has always been. It, 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 it always is, or it is now, and it always will be. Uh, we know that God has always been. He is now, and He always will be. We know that God is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. And because of that, we, have, we can count on our structure. What makes the Christian faith so great is that we have the same perfect, changeless governor and potentate. Uh, and he's been the same since eternity past. We have structure through the Bible which says, uh, uh, which was uh, authored by a holy God before he ever created man. We have structure that provides, uh, protects and insulates us when we obey it and follow it. The laws contained in the Bible provide this structure. The structure in the Bible provides great stability and predictability in Christ. You know, I don't, uh, especially when I was young in Christ, I didn't agree with all the rules of the Bible. But the longer I've gotten to know God's Word, the more I can understand them and appreciate them. The more I can embrace them. You know, I love the fact that when I obey God's Word, I get the promises in it. But when I disobey God's Word, God is eventually going to chastise me. And I love how predictable it is. I love how predictable it is. There are those that look at God's Word and they say, it's a book of rules and it's a book of, uh, uh, of uh, unfairness. It's an archaic book and, and it's rules, 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 rules. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. And to that I say, listen, Satan has this set of rules too. 
Satan's consequences for uh, uh, for, for uh, uh, living within that structure, boy, it's a whole lot worse. It's a whole lot more painful. It's a whole lot more enslaving. Today, I would tell you, embrace the structure and embrace the stability of God's Word and the life of a Christian, that Christian liberty, and then go out and do something great for God. Hear me out on this. Do something great for God. Why is it that you can excel as a Christian? Because you know the structure and you have the stability. Now, go be a Christian John D. Rockefeller. Go be a D.L. Moody. Go be a Billy Sunday. Go be a, 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 a great woman of the Bible. Go be a Ruth or an Esther. How can you do that? Because you know the structure and the stability. Now you can be strong in the Lord. That Christian liberty. Number three, we see the attack on liberty. The attack on liberty. Letter A, we see the enemies from without. The enemies from without. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2 with me in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 4 in just a moment. There are those who would love to see America destroyed and taken over by some communistic or fascist government. They would love to see our liberty stripped away because they hate freedom. By the way, a new poll was taken recently among millennials and 44% said they wished they lived in a socialist country. 44%. 44%. That's scary, isn't it? By the way, the generation behind them was polled. It was even higher. Here's the funny thing. When you turn around and ask those same kids what it means to be a socialist, they have no idea. They don't know. It's just a popular term. It's the fad right now. Now, there are people out in the world that are good socialists. There are people out in the world that are bad socialists. There are those who have a heart of compassion and they think it's a great idea to take all the wealth of the world and evenly disperse it and their motives are pure. But if you study socialism, what you find is that it fails. Every single time. There's never been a socialistic experiment that worked. By the way, socialism is the child of communism. Once you become a socialist, you're on your way to being a communist. Socialism also provides a structure to where wealthy, greedy, Power-hungry people can abuse the poor. That's what you find too often. There are those that want to hurt both our political liberty. They want to strip that away. But then there are those that want to take away our Christian liberty. Look at verse 4 of Galatians 2. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, they might bring us into bondage. They spy on us. They lurk in the shadows. Sometimes they will infiltrate a church and be a counterfeit Christian. They hate the liberty that you have in Christ. They will belittle it. They will make fun of it. They will misrepresent it. They will call it names like legalistic and stuffy. They will work to deceive you. And if they can't do that, they will persecute you. You know why? Because they're enemies from without. They don't like the liberty you have in Christ. They don't like your political liberty either. And they want to take that away. Letter B, we see the enemies from within. The enemies from within. Now, i got to say that most Christians can quickly identify a counterfeit or a spy. They can identify uh, someone who's uh, using the court system to try to strip away our liberties. And that's been happening in this country now for decades. And and, and unfortunately, our judicial system uh, makes... Christian liberty or a religious liberty uh, acquiesce and give in in place of this immoral liberty that's being pushed on us. And that's been going on again for decades. And we're able to identify that. We're able to express our disdain for it. We're able to say how much we don't like it. But how about that enemy that comes from within? I, I think of that Russian czar 
who at the UN meeting banged, was it Khrushchev, banged his shoe? It's Khrushchev, right? I didn't have the internet to look that up either. Amen. Uh, had a, his shoe and he banged, bang, was banging that on the desk. And he said uh, the old ultimate, the old phrase that he's uh, known for in that meeting, We will bury you! The USSR. We will bury you! Now, um, has Russia or the USSR buried us from without? No. Are they burying us from within? Yes. Yes. Yes, they are. They're using our education system. They're using our media. When I say media, I don't just mean what you turn on with the news. I mean, listen, NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, these TV shows they put on in the evening, remember, those are being made and written by media. That's what that is. That's propaganda. Those shows you watch, they're just propaganda. They're propaganda to push an immoral agenda on you. They're propaganda to push a communistic, socialistic agenda on you. That's just what they are. Because the people that run those companies, they don't have American liberty and interest. Now, you say, Pastor, I don't appreciate you being political in the pulpit. Listen, I'll say this. I normally am not political. And I'm not going to get into telling you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you those things. But if we don't stand up against communism and humanism and atheism in our country, uh, and we, if we ignore it from without, it will seep within and it will tackle us from within. That's what's happening. But this isn't just true for political liberty and freedom. This is true for spiritual liberty and freedom. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 with me. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Romans 8, 13, 14, and 15. Here we see that the greatest threat to our liberty is not from without. I said in my introduction that while there will be those who uh, uh, challenge our liberties, our Christian liberties from without, no one, no one can take away your Christian liberty except you. No one ultimately can take it away because that was given to you at salvation. You say, Pastor, how do I give away my Christian liberty? How do I, how does that happen? Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 13. It says, for, ye, for if ye live... After the flesh ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the Son of God. For ye have not received the Spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit of adoption, or the Spirit of liberty, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. By the way, just a few verses north of verse 13, you find the idea of Christian liberty there in this passage. And these verses are articulating Christian liberty here. How do we give up our Christian liberty? Here's how we do it. We give up our Christian liberty by living in the flesh. Can I tell you today that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, He has given you a reservoir of liberty? But you have to choose to turn on that reservoir. I would liken it to you this. How many of you uh, live in a home where you can go if you want to and you can turn on the faucet and you can put a cup under there and you can drink that water right out of the faucet? How many of you have that liberty? Okay? Have that ability. Alright? Uh, do you know that just because you have running water in your house, you can still thirst to death? You can, you can have uh, water lying dormant in your house without enjoying it. You with me this morning? 
You got to go under and you got to turn on the faucet and you got to enjoy it. The day you got saved, the day you put Jesus Christ, uh, your faith in Jesus Christ, and He gave you that salvation, He gave you a reservoir. He planted in the back, your backyard, if you would, a water system uh, of liberty. You have to choose to turn it on. You have to choose to enjoy it. You say, Pastor, how do I turn the faucet of Christian liberty on? You turn it on by mortifying the deeds of the flesh and walking by the Spirit. That's how you do it. You have to say no to the desires of the flesh. You have to, as Paul said, I die daily. You have to kill the desires of the flesh and you have to choose to walk by the Spirit. And when you do that, oh, you, you, you enjoy and you embrace and you become part of a new citizenship. And not only are you a citizen, but you, enjoy, uh, you begin enjoying the liberties and the freedom of that. I've got to tell you today that I have lived a lot of my Christian life I was saved at four years old. I've lived a lot of my Christian life uh, not really enjoying Christian liberty. I've lived a lot of my Christian life walking in the flesh, walking by, uh, uh, by, walking by what I want to do. In fact, early on in my Christian life, I thought I could do Christian life my way instead of doing it God's way. And I was guilty of that for many, many, many years. And the truth is, walking in the Spirit is a moment-by-moment decision. The truth is, I can be walking in the Spirit right now, and in an hour, something happens that gets me upset, and all of a sudden, I'm walking in the flesh. Let me ask you if this has ever happened to you. you ever gotten on your knees and prayed and said, Lord, I mortify the deeds of the flesh, or something similar to this. I, I, I want to walk by the Spirit. I want to walk in truth. I want, Holy Spirit, you call the shots in my life and my heart. You're in charge. You're in charge. You're in charge. And then you get up off your knees, and somebody in your family who knows you well, pushes your buttons. No, you blow up! And you thought, five minutes ago, I was walking in the Spirit, and now I'm walking in the flesh. You know what you've done? You've just surrendered your Christian liberty. You're not, you've turned off the faucet. Oh, the reservoir's still there. Oh, you can go turn it back on. Well, for the time that's, that's off, you're stuck. You're stuck. The enemy from within is sin. And I cannot wait till the day where Jesus takes me home and that sin nature is totally removed from my DNA, from my genetics, from my being. And I can walk with God in the Spirit all the time. But until that day comes, we must fight the enemy from within. Number four, we see our attitude toward liberty. And this is the last point here. Our attitude toward liberty. There's a phrase here we're all familiar with. I'm going to start it. I want you to finish it. You ready? Freedom isn't freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free. It must be cherished. It must be guarded. It must be protected. It must never be taken for granted. All morning I have worked to parallel American liberty with Christian liberty. But here's where the two part ways. If enough Americans neglect their liberty, and unfortunately and sadly I, sadly I believe this is happening, enough Americans neglect their liberty and refuse to stand up for it, we're going to lose it for good. We're going to lose it. However, if you neglect your liberty in Christ, while you will lose it, God always welcomes you back to it. You know, political governments and nations, they rise and they fall. But God never changes. 
It is not God that fails us, it is us who fail God. How about it today, Christian? What's your attitude toward the liberties and freedoms that you've been given in Christ? Do you cherish them? Are you protecting them? When it comes to your patriotic duty, does your lifestyle scream, let freedom ring? When it comes to your Christian liberty, are you thankful for its structure? Are you thankful for the stability it provides? Are you striving through God's strength within it and because of it? Are you walking in the Spirit? You know, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are still a slave to sin. The most brutal slave owner in the South, or even in the North, wherever it was, in this country or other countries, the most brutal slave owner is not as brutal as Satan. He will beat on you until he kills you, and then he will annihilate your soul in hell for all of eternity. You say, Pastor, I don't want to be a slave to sin any longer then today will you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Will you call on His name and believe Him and allow Him to give you a new liberty that you've never had? Will you allow His sacrifice to matter for your account? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me ask this question. How many of you here today say, Pastor, I... I know that I'm born again. I know that I'm saved. There was a day where I was given that reservoir of liberty in Christ because I put my faith and trust in Him. I believed in Jesus to save me. If I were to die today, I would be welcomed into heaven because of the blood Jesus shed and His remission of my sins. If that's you and that's your testimony, would you just slip up your hand for me? You say, Pastor, I've done that. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor, I don't know that I am a servant to Christ. I fear that I'm still a slave to sin. If you have not intentionally chosen Christ, then you are still a slave to sin. You can try your best to do good works. They're never going to erase your wrongs. You say, then what do I do? You've you got to come to Jesus who lived and died and rose again from the dead, who shed His blood for you, so that His blood could be the cleansing agent for your filthy, sinful soul. You've got to come to Him and you've got to call on His name. You've got to ask Him to take away your sins. You say, can I do that? You can. Let me help you to do that. If you are ready to put your faith in Jesus and not any faith in yourself, if you're ready by faith to receive His liberty, receive His salvation, to receive that gift of eternal life. Would you just pray this prayer where you're sitting? Would you just pray that right in your heart? Would you just say, under your breath, would you just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that my sin is wrong. I know that my sin has enslaved me to the devil. And I know that my sin has condemned me to hell. Dear Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. To wash it off of my record. 
and to give me a new life in you. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. If you prayed that prayer this morning, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I would like to just rejoice with you where you're at. I don't want to call your name out. I don't want to embarrass you. But I would like to rejoice with you. If you prayed that prayer, you called on Jesus to take your sins away. It's a one-time thing. You only need to do it once. But if you did that today, would you just slip up your hand quietly so I can see that? Is there one? How many here today say, Pastor, today the light bulb kind of came on for me. I see that I've been given Christian liberty, but the faucet is off more than it's on. I've not been living living by the Spirit, and I have not stri- I've not been able to strive as a Christian. I've not been able to thrive rather as a Christian because I've not been l- allowing Christ, uh, His Holy Spirit, to do a work within me. Pastor, pray for me that I will turn on the faucet and I will enjoy my Christian liberty. If that's you, just slip up your hand today. Pray for me, Pastor, that I will walk by the Spirit. I will walk by the Spirit. Lord, I pray today that you'd help those that are here. Thank you for our veterans that have defended our country so well and give us a place to freely gather. But Lord, as they have fought to defend our political freedom, our patriotic freedom, may we fight to defend our Christian freedom. May we fight the enemies from without. Lord, may we fight that sin nature from within. May we walk with you. May we walk worthy of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. You're invited to come and kneel and talk to the Lord in prayer. You can talk to Him about the message. You can talk to Him about something other than the message. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, you maybe you have more questions about that. We would love to help you. Pastor Mike and Brother Verone are standing down front. They'd love to discuss that with you. If you know for sure that you're saved but you've not been baptized or baptismal waters are ready to go, we would love to baptize you and help you to follow that, the Lord in that first step of obedience. If you're here today and you've not yet joined our church, you'd like more information about that, we would love to provide that to you. Whatever the decision is you need to make, you can make it in your pew or you can make it here at the altar, but let's make them for the Lord.